Well, hey, sorry, mine, since this is another episode, we're getting to the mid-80s. Um, I don't even know how we got to the mid-80s when, you know, this was only at uh, one or... I never expected to get to the 80s, that's the truth. Um, but today, we're at the mid-80s because this guy, Jeremy Gardner, is going to be on our podcast today. I was just reading so much about him. Like, I don't know the proper way to, like... Jeremy's a crypto legend, and he's going to talk to us about his journey from depression to self-love and success today he's even I, i'm reading into the cannabis space and psychedelic space and also has a company called made man uh he does a cool podcast where he's interviewed tony hawk i saw him with uh, lamar odom on his instagram and that's all cool stuff but jeremy's a successful entrepreneur and i think you know we could learn a lot about uh, how to build a successful business whether it involves skincare or whether it involves, you know, a venture capital fund. Um, it just, the, the Verizon is going to range today. But Jeremy, I'm so happy that you uh, decided to join the podcast today, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Great way to kick this off. Where are you from? And, you know, what's your kind of background? I grew up in a small town in Western Massachusetts. Uh, dad's a college professor. Mom works at a nonprofit. Had a pretty rough and tumble adolescence, kicked out of a lot of schools, arrested a lot of times. Uh, you know, <laughs> one of the things I say has helped uh, me be successful in life, you know, whatever modicum of success I've had, is that I just had no fear of failure. I had, <laughs> my life was so addled by failure uh, for the first 21 years that, you know, I, I really had nothing to lose as I began my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, you know, first, when I dropped out of college back in 2014, though, I'd say uh, my entrepreneurial proclivities date far before then. Yeah, man. I mean, was so you didn't your first entrepreneurial thing you did wasn't it wasn't bitcoin right like that's that's no it was selling pot when i was like 13 uh (laughs) oh no way and that 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 was uh uh pastime throughout my teenage years led to some of the trouble i referred to but you know i i think i started my first business if you will when i was like 13 or 14 i would buy like video games wholesale off of ebay and then sell them individually on amazon and you know i always had a hustle but uh my parents were never very approving of this you know they're kind of more academic and you know uh i don't think i really understood what an entrepreneur was until my early 20s It, it was not something that was fostered in my life yeah, man. So like what, what got you to want to resell, uh, you know, video games on, on Amazon? Was it just you needed money? Like, I think I just like instinctually saw the arbitrage. I was, you know, I didn't have an allowance. Like most okay. of my money came from, you know, selling pot. And, but I loved video games. And, you know, I went on eBay and saw that I could buy, you know, several video games, you know, collectively cheaper than you know buying them individually off of amazon and i think i just saw the opportunity there yeah yeah so what i mean that's that's pretty common to to like entrepreneurs i think elon musk said infamously that a drug dealer knows a little bit more than business and mba students so yeah i mean that was my mba i learned more about business and relationships through you know you know my my 
criminal upbringing than I ever did, you know, uh, from any business book or class I took. Yeah, yeah. I, I've resold shoes on the internet before. I've done like, I've sold things on eBay, like a jacket or something. And I think for me, like, I like doing it, but just having that drive to do it was something that, you know, it's not for, it's not in everyone. Like for you, were you like selling hundreds and thousands, I mean, hundreds of video games? And no, no. I, I mean, at most I would make a, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars a month, but like for, you know, 14, 15 year old kid, um, that that's a good deal of money and, and was enough to like fund, you know, a, you know, a, a pretty humble lifestyle. Yeah, most definitely. I know you don't want to talk about the crypto stuff, but I think just for my, uh, own... I'm happy to talk crypto. I just, I, <laughs> you know, I, there are a lot of people in the world that you could interview that can give you a more comprehensive up-to-date perspective on crypto. You know, my, 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 you know, I spent about five years fully immersed evangelizing, building companies, investing between 2014 and 2018, but I, I burnt out pretty hard. And so, you know, it, it, you know, I wouldn't be the best person to talk about crypto today, you know, although I have a nice kind of, you know, holistic view um, or zoomed out view of the industry. Absolutely. I mean, what... um. What what got you into there? Like you were on the dark web one day and like uh, <laughs> that was my first introduction. I think I read about you know Silk Road yeah, Silk back Road, in yeah. 2011 and Rolling Stone. I uh, was fascinated by the Silk Road, but I honestly thought Bitcoin sounded kind of dumb. Didn't really understand it. Wouldn't end up revisiting it for a couple of years until you know 2013. Uh, you know, first hit a hundred dollars. You know, I I had a bit of cash. Uh, put some money into it. And by the end of the year, I'd gone up to a thousand. I sold it all. And I thought, hey, this, you know, this is interesting. It's good for speculating and buying drugs off the internet. But it wouldn't be until January 2014, when I transferred to the University of Michigan and had a kid sleeping on the couch in the apartment I had found on Craigslist, uh -huh. who wouldn't stop talking my ear off about Bitcoin. And I, and I eventually, you know, yeah. uh, conceded and, uh, read the Satoshi white paper, you know, and went down the rabbit hole because I had been at Occupy Wall Street um, in Zuccotti Park and, you know, protested the banks. I had worked in government and I had learned, you know, in the past couple of years of my life that if I wanted to change the financial system, it wasn't going to happen in my 20s. Uh, but when I saw Bitcoin, I saw an opportunity to create a new financial system. And that was incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. You founded Augur? Is that yeah. So I first founded uh, the Blockchain Education Network, which is now the oldest and largest nonprofit in crypto. It brought together all the young people, students uh, interested in Bitcoin and what would become known as blockchain technology around the world. And then through that nonprofit, while still in college, I met a brilliant 18-year-old uh, computer scientist, Joey Krug, and we ended up uh, building our first startup that summer, which would then become Augur, uh, which eventually became the very first application on the Ethereum blockchain, the first ICO, the first DeFi app, first yeah. token. <laughs> uh, it was super early on. And so, you know, I, I know, you know, Foremost, beyond being a founder, venture capitalist in crypto, 
I was really just this evangelist. I, I was flown around the world to speak at conferences, explaining the technology, writing op-eds, speaking in boardrooms, you know, really just trying to help turn this kind of techno-utopian uh, pipe dream into a reality. Man, that's really fascinating. Like, I, I think like somebody has to you know, come out with the history of crypto book or something just because there are a few, you know I, mean? I get a few mentions, but not much. I mean, you know, it's all about <laughs> who the author ends up interviewing and I've been kind of off the radar for a few years. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the email Olivia sent me, she, she said, or I think actually it was maybe like a Forbes article or something. Just, it said, uh, Jeremy's been off the grid, but now he's coming back to talk about self-help and, uh, you know, mental health and all that stuff. So that's so fascinating that you went from the crypto space into skincare and men's health and wellness. Just tell me a little bit about what got you to want to have that as your new venture, because, you know, when somebody sees that success, you feel like that's it, right? Well, what, what it was, as I mentioned, I really burnt out, you know, by the, by 2018, I had, I, you know, I was featured on ABC Nightline cover of the New York Times style section I had a lot of scrutiny. It was really chaotic. It was the top of the market. I lost. felt I had lost control of the narrative and the way I was being represented. And so I dealt with a, a lot of self, uh, self-esteem issues and just insecurities. And a big thing was that I was going on TV and in the media and my skin looked like shit. And I was trying all these different brands. It was all way too complicated and my skin wasn't getting better. And so I, I, you know, it was more for myself that I try to create, you know, a high quality, simplified skincare solution. But when it worked, I saw there being a business opportunity to do something new. And so I just went and pursued it. I figured I could finance it myself, which I have. And, you know, it would be a fun uh, new venture. So I wouldn't just, you know... I had this concern that, you know, I would just be identified as a Bitcoin guy for the rest of my life. And, you know, as much as I was passionate about Bitcoin and blockchain technology, um, you know, I had my reservations about it uh, to certain extents. And, and, and to others, you know, I just I, that's not all I wanted to do with my life. And so it seemed like a good jumping point. I still had my own venture fund in this space, investing in startups. And so. I still, I've remained involved, uh, you know, I now, I, although I bought out all my investors in my, my crypto fund, I, I, I work with another venture fund investing in this space. And, you know, I'm still speaking at conferences on crypto and, and, and I talk about it on podcasts, but, uh, you know, be, seeing myself more as an evangelist than anything, um, I believe they're better evangelists now, better people to represent the tech and you know get <laughs> new entrants excited about it and so i wanted to take my skill set you know as a communicator and as a founder and, and apply it to something entirely new and so that's that's really what drove the decision yeah man i i can't even imagine you know switching industries like that that's kind of wild right like <laughs> it comes very natural to me like i would there was nothing about my education or background that would have made me kind of like a like a main figure in crypto and yet i became one and i i figured that's just kind of my disposition my ability to become comfortable with a subject 
um, and, and then be able to communicate concepts in a way that people really understand. And so um, it's fairly natural for me, although I will say the hardest thing I've ever done is try to convince men to buy skincare. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a, this has actually been the biggest challenge I've ever had in my career, uh, the skincare company. But, you know, as you mentioned, I, I started a new venture fund focused on psychedelic medicine. And that's been the easiest thing I've ever done. So, um, you know, th there are varying levels of challenges. But if you're passionate uh, about something, anything, you know, you, you can succeed in it if, as long as you try hard enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think, you know, that's <laughs> so funny. You said that starting the VC fund was the, the most difficult out of uh, all these different. No, no, no. no. The, the VC fund was the easiest. Oh, the easiest. easiest. They were super easy. Uh, you know, I, I hit my fundraising target for my fund in uh, like three Wait. months. And, <laughs> and I have more limited partners than I've taken limited partner meetings. Like, it's just like, it's been the easiest thing in the world. Uh, but, but, you know, I think I have it with the psychedelic fund. I've got what I'd call investor market fit. And that you know, <laughs> people's, you know, I'm, uh, you know my, my success as a VC and angel investor is fairly well known. And then my, my, my love and passion for psychedelics is also well known. And so I think for a lot of folks that are interested in the opportunity that psychedelics uh, presents and the fact that I had a low minimum investment, uh, it, it was just a very easy bet for, you know, a, a, a lot of folks I know to, to invest in. Uh, but the skincare thing, it's just like people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, make, building a skincare company yeah, yeah, yeah. that's been a that's been a lot harder so i think there, there there's a, a lot to say about you know founder market fit investment investor market fit you know the more obvious someone it is that someone is building a company or a firm uh the easier it will be for them yeah jerry that's that's such a you know good point that you make i feel like there's different ways we could go into this and I, you know, would love to use the majority of the time to talk about Made Man and what that brand really represents. Um, but one thing before we get into that, I guess like something I have to know is what, what gives you the confidence to kind of pursue all these different things? Or was there an event that um, gave you all the confidence? Because I feel like um, with me and my studies and entrepreneurship, like a lot of people, they'll have confidence initially in the idea, but you know, once, you know, an investor denies them, like, or they've been denied yeah, like 50 the, times, the, right? Like, the trough of disillusionment, uh, uh -huh. on the Gartner hype cycle. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's totally, or the Valley of despair. Right. Um, you know, those are very real and I, and I've experienced that in just about everything I've done except the psychedelic fund. And that's probably just well, I think it's because one, I've got a lot of comfort in what I'm doing. And frankly, venture capital is just comes very naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not the hardest job, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are, there are a few factors. One, I mentioned all the failure um, and disillusionment in, in my childhood and adolescence. I just, I've never had a high bar set for me. So any level of kind of success exceeds most people's expectations. <laughs> Even now, I okay. think I think I'm fortunate and that people don't have a very high bar for me. I think I'm, you know, perpetually underestimated and I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, it makes it much easier to exceed people's expectations when they don't expect a lot. 
Um, and then, you know, the you have to, to be introspective when you're in a position like mine and recognize just the inherent privilege I have. One, being born in America. Right. Two, two being white, middle class, uh, educated family, you know, given a lot of second chances that someone that looked different than me may not have had. Um, you know, th- there's a tremendous amount of privilege, you know, even without a silver spoon being, um, uh, you know, uh, being put in my mouth at a young age, I, I still had a- privileges that are inherent to where I was born and the, you know, socioeconomic circumstances I grew up with. And even though I wasn't given too much, you know, good education is more than most people can claim. And, 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 and being a man, I mean, these are all these are all factors in how other people perceive us and treat us. And I didn't have much going against me, despite my own personal failures. And so I think that gives, you know, there's a tremendous amount of confidence that comes with that privilege. You know, I, I don't know how many you know, white male middle class founders would agree with that because that <laughs> that takes a pretty brutal level of self reflection. But but I think it's it's easier to have confidence when you come from um, you stable know foundations, right? like sure, what? like stable foundations or just you know promoting. It's like even if growth. I didn't have a financial safety net, like my family wasn't relying on me. Like I don't have right, children. Right. I don't have liabilities. Like you didn't know that if I fail, it's just on me and I have to live with the consequences, but there's no one else depending on me. That, that I mean, that is a tremendous amount of, you know, confidence that you have because, you know, it, then, then your own failures only fall on your shoulders. Now, obviously, if you have employees, that's always unfortunate, but it is, it's nothing like having, you know, your family depend on you. Yeah, I hear you, Jeremy. Those are, you know, only things that you you know not everybody can see that so you know thanks for saying that um i wanted to get into you know yours in the email there's something really interesting that caught my eye and it's about like the hard truth entrepreneurial success isn't a panacea and i think that just means money isn't the solution to everybody's problems right like even though you know no i mean made man's a great example i've had all the money i need to make this successful and i haven't yet and so (laughs) <laughs> you know, money, money is only a means to an end. It should never be an end unto itself. Um, with, with that being said, like, you know, you went through, I guess, a lot of difficulties mental health wise. Um, was psychedelics part of your solution or like was? Oh, was yeah. I mean, of- so, so psychedelics, you know, mushrooms in particular saved my life. When I was 14, I was suicidal, oh, depressed. Shit. I was on like five different psychiatric uh, drugs, you know, probably could have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Certainly the drugs they were giving me would indicate that. Didn't have that uh, diagnosis, but it was really bad. Like I, I was, I was in a deep, dark place that it wasn't clear I was going to get out of. And one day I just ate 3.5 grams of mushrooms with my friends and I never had suicidal ideation Again, uh, a year later, I took the same amount when I was 15 and I got up all five psychiatric drugs and I haven't had a depressive episode in 15 years. And now uh, there's a, 
a lot of new research and evidence to, to suggest what may have happened there, although less on teenagers. I and I, but I frankly believe that due to the the point I was in at my life in my life where my pre prefrontal cortex was developing, um, my my messed up chemistry that messed up wiring in my brain and that was leading to the depression and misbehavior, there was like some permanent rewiring. Now I've revisited psychedelics and sat with most psychedelic medicines imaginable in the 15 years, 16 years since, but, but that, but those two instances, you know, they just dramatically altered the course of my life and, and, and then revisiting these medicines and new ones and the years since has certainly guided so much of my decision making, my sense of self, the way I view the world and approach it. And, and therefore, you know, there's nothing I would attribute to my success more than my psychedelic experiences. Wow. <laughs> Good thing. I'm, I'm glad, you know, that that helped you get out of that rut. I feel like a lot of people nowadays that go through uh, not just because of the rise of uh you know not not just because of the rise of the conversation that people are now speaking out about their struggles with uh you know themselves internally uh just from the mental health perspective but you know that's that's really interesting you you bring that up i i mean fascinating i want to jump into you know what made man is so i'm i'm taking a look at the website for the first time here it looks really great um what kind of what kind of skincare is this? Is this for is it like a lotion or is it like a yeah? So pretty much, I took every component of a proactive skincare regimen and packed it into two products: an all-in-one moisturizer, two-in-one um, shave gel and facial cleanser, and it's pretty much anything, everything a guy needs to have and retain good skin um for the rest of their life it's like a daily habit and so uh for me i realized that most guys are not going to take on a five-step regimen i barely remember to brush my teeth same here alone, <laughs> you know five seven different products different times a day different days of the week different orders it's just not going to happen and, and that really explains why 80 percent of men don't take care of their skin and so i just wanted to make it as simple and straightforward as possible what uh so what does it do to your skin exactly? It just exfoliates your skin? Like it just makes it, yeah, look so it, it Like, you know, going to the cleanser and, and shave gel, uh, you know, it's so important that at the end of the day, you clean your face. You really only need to do it once a day. But, but you, you know, just walking around the house, going out, there's all sort of pollutants, toxins. You touch your face, you're getting dirt on it. Sure. You know, you need to clean your face. So that's like so critically important. Uh, and then, and then, and then shaving actually is a great way to exfoliate your skin, but you can see, I don't shave too much, but it does exfoliate as well. Uh, we actually have a new device that we're introducing. It's a two in one uh, electric um, uh, cleanser and uh, heated moisturizer applicator. And so the second product is a moisturizer, and so that, you know, that obviously moisturizes your skin. Um, it, it, it creates a barrier against pollutants um, and, and harmful rays, both UV rays and then the UVB rays from your screens. Um, and, and, and it provides anti-aging 
um, and anti-inflammation. We have CBD in the products, so it helps prevent acne and redness. Uh, folks with rosacea say that it's the best product they've ever used, so can't claim that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it really is it, really just, it, 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 it's not a reactive product. It's not like the brand Proactive. Or like it, go, it goes in and treats a specific issue. We're not claiming it's going to get rid of your wrinkles or, you know, you know, skin issues that have developed over time, but it will prevent skin issues from being developed and have your skin looking the best it can as it already is. That's so important. Yeah. You know, I spoke to, I guess, like back in the day or two years ago, I spoke to Curology's like head of talent and I was learning about all the different methods for skincare and all I do is all I have is blueberry So I might, might need to talk to you or get, get a, get a, get a box. I, these, I can you know? send you a little gift box. You're the MVP, man. I, I, I could talk to you forever. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely, you know, promote this to the subscribers here, you know, make sure you look at getmademan.com and check it out. But one thing I wanted to hear from you, Jeremy, too, just switching back a little bit back in the crypto space was the crypto castle. Now this is in Potrero Hill because I'm in San Francisco. So I might need a, Oh, you're in San Francisco, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know the the crypto castle started as a joke. It's now actually <laughs> trademarked if you look up there. Um, but it, you know when when I dropped out of college and, and started Augur, um, we moved up to San Francisco shortly after beginning, and uh, you know we had six guys in a two bedroom basement apartment. Uh, uh, you know, in South San Francisco, and I jokingly called it the Bitcoin basement. And eventually, when we raised a bit of money, um, I found this house. It was a three-bedroom townhouse, pretty dingy, but I turned it into seven bedrooms, and it, it had a you know sweeping view of San Francisco. You know, Petrero Hell, it overlooks the whole city, and I called it the Crypto Castle, and I added it <laughs> to Google Maps and to Facebook. And, and back then, it was, you know, there was no kind of focal point for the industry. There was, you know, there was no, like, crypto hangouts. It, it was such a, you know, Coinbase's office was probably, like, three rooms. Like, there was, there was no meeting points. And so it very quickly kind of just became a place where people would go hang out. We would host meetups. You know, Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, would sleep on the couch or the really? there. <laughs> you know, we, we had George Hotz, the famous hacker who he was the first person to jailbreak uh, the iPhone and the PlayStation. He he started a self-driving car company in my basement. Uh, you no know, it was just, it, there were just the most interesting people would come by and it just kind of built this legend as, you know, reporters that were assigned to the crypto beat you know, deciding whether they wanted to, you know, write an article to their fairly ignorant audiences trying to explain crypto or just write an article about, a, you know, an interesting house full of crypto enthusiasts. And as a result, I have more articles written about my houses, which in my view are fairly remarkable <laughs> than I do about any company I've started. And so, you know, I, you know, once people started using the word, term crypto castle in ways I didn't really like, I, yeah, I went and got the trademark. I call all my houses crypto castles, but you know the San Francisco one is definitely the legendary one. Man, I mean, what what street is like? Well, it's like on Mississippi Street and Twentieth or something. No, it's on Kansas. So if, Kansas. if you're driving into the city, right when you you're on the highway coming from the airport or from the bay, mm -hmm. 
and you, you, you turn out and you're looking over the whole city, you take that first right and then it's your second right. And then it's just there. It's like, it's, it's like 13 minutes from the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to the Warriors game later, so it's like a two neighborhoods away from there. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. That's like what, dog, dodge, dog Patch Mission, or right. Mission Bay, I mission, guess, yeah. Something like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a 10-minute walk. It's a mile and a half. Man, yeah, that's a... That's a very, like, unique way to get famous. Or that's something that kind of got blown out more than you... Would yeah, like I mean, for right. years it was crazy how people would introduce me as the founder of the Crypto Castle <laughs> at times. I'd be like, God, it's just my house. But but it, it definitely, you know, I like my alliteration and it definitely has a catchiness to it. But it, it brought me a tremendous number of opportunities, obviously a lot of press. And, you know, you know, we live in a society where, you know, virality brand and the brands you build are everything. And so... You know, if you can give your house a brand, you know, you can't hurt. Yeah, it's kind of like the Playboy Mansion or something, right? <laughs> well, the one in Miami certainly was. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I might have to figure out how I can check this out now. <laughs> um, so, so with Made Man, are you, so we're, I'm not necessarily saying like you guys cross the finish line or anything, but like what are your long term goals for that as you focus on it? Just, is well, it like an IPO? It, or like it's, just... it, it's multifaceted. One, I think the largest opportunity that exists in consumer packaged goods is men's skincare, simply because it's 80% of men that don't currently do it, but like 100% of men could be the addressable or serviceable market. Um, and that, that would be great to, you know, literally change societies or men's perception of self-care and skincare. But more importantly, we can convince a large number of men to start taking care of their skin and put this product on their face every day. I believe that the company, the brand, becomes a vehicle for having important conversations with these men about what it means to be a man, you know, in, in 2022, 2023 and moving forward. Because I think masculinity today is so incredibly fragile that there needs to be a new framework for masculinity, one that's much more aspirational, you know, no longer focusing on what's toxic about being a man, but what can be celebrated and what can be aspired towards. What, um, what, just to piggyback off your point right there, what do you say are some of the things that men or masculinity can, can be more championed or more, you know, promoted? That's, that's kind of not celebrated as you would like well i i i think you know broadly speaking masculinity today can be broken into two frameworks uh you know that often fall along kind of political loyalties and lines but not not firmly <laughs> uh but you know you have one uh both of which i believe are fragile but one's in different ways Mm -hmm. uh, one's uh, much more traditional and old school, kind of the strong man, marble, Marlboro man version of masculinity, the tough guy, the kind of chauvinist or misogynistic uh, masculinity, uh, you know, that is, you know, very uncultured in my view and just like, you know, uh, you know, uh, just dated. And then there's the other which is fragile in a very different sense. And it's that men are very unwilling to lean in 
to their masculinity or like even identify as a man. I mean, it's just, you know, where, where, where there's such a, a fear of doing anything that's perceived as being, you know, slightly masculine or, or conforming too greatly to gender roles that, 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 that men are uh, afraid to even be masculine or, 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 or be men. And, and, and both of those are just not not where you kind of want a society to be. You want men that are comfortable with who they are, love who they are, are aspire to being the best versions of themselves, both for themselves, but also for their communities, for their friends, for their families, for society at large, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to be good people and taking pride in who one is and who one is trying to be rather than what society expects of you. Because that's where both those kind of uh, frameworks for masculinity lie. They're, everyone, People just are constantly trying to conform to what's, you know, their, their view of society expects of them rather than focusing on being the best versions of themselves. And and, and 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 society can't evolve with such a low level consciousness. Yeah, I I can try hard to fathom all fathom all that you just said, but you know I think you have great points there for sure. It's just I think yeah, me as man, like I I've, I guess I could probably bring up an instance or two where that's that's been the reality. So it's yeah, but yeah. I, mean, I I just. I just I think if you look at where women in our society are today, there's a strong sense of empowerment or as Sheryl Sandberg spoke about leaning in and a greater emphasis, not just on, on, you know, outer strength and inner strength, but also just like leaning into femininity. You know, sure. for a long time, women in our society had, you, you know, to, to kind of put on a more masculine uh, uh, appearance or behavior if they really wanted to make it up the ladder. And there's a greater embrace of, uh, of, the, of the feminine. And, you know, I think there's so much to admire uh, uh, about, you know, femininity in, in, in the 21st century. But there's not much to be said for masculinity. Would you say that Andrew, you know, Andrew Tate, right? The Oh, God, the, just the epitome of my kind of first framework. Yeah, he does have some good. I, I'm not agreeing with everything he says, but I, I do. You know, he's I mean, look, all, like just just for the reason I find, you know, my my second framework kind of the weak, afraid masculine. Well, they canceled him, so that's kind of what... Yeah, well, well right. They're, I mean, they're both very disagreeable, but, like, that is why men gravitate towards him. This is why these manfluencers, as they're called these days, <laughs> have these large audiences of young men. I mean, Donald Trump, as well, is a great example. Yeah, yeah. The, people, guys look like we're, we're very evolutionarily primed to gravitate towards the strong man, the guy that knows, the guy that asserts himself, the guy that says, if you follow me, like things will be okay or your life will uh-huh. be better. And and that's fine. I mean, I, you know, we've had, you know, great leaders throughout history and great men throughout history. But these guys also embody, you know, man's worst instincts, violence, control, power, 
sure. the pursuit of material wealth and belongings, um, you know, just a, a shallowness that is deeply damaging to the psyche and to society as a whole. And so, you know, I can never endorse or get behind someone like that, even if I agree with some of what they say, because I believe that ultimately they provide really toxic and unhealthy role models, especially for young men. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that point you just made about, uh, you know, the effect it has on, I guess, up and coming youth, right? Like just, uh, I mean, I mean, this is what, I mean, I didn't, I haven't watched any of his videos, but uh there were all, there were all these kind of viral tweets and TikToks of young women saying how their boyfriends had become, Oh my God. Teachers or mothers talking about how uh, these young men that were following Andrew Tate became hostile and aggressive and demeaning and misogynistic and, and at times violent when they never had been before. Oh, because, shit. <laughs> because these because someone like Tate, you know, once again, he 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 appeals to a man's most primal instincts, which can be good, but can also be very uncivilized and very and, and very kind of divisive right or just yeah or just 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 unhealthy uh sure. you know it's it, he's encouraging behavior and attitudes that are not acceptable in an evolved society in which everyone de- uh deserves to be treated equally you know people no one deserves to be demeaned simply because of you know, the, 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 their gender or orientation or socioeconomic status. I mean, that, the, 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 that's not a world I want to live in. Yeah, most, most definitely. Uh, I want to jump into one cool thing. I kind of just, I had the opportunity to look at your Instagram for like a minute or two. And I saw you had a picture with Lamar Odom. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm a Kobe, I'm a Kobe Bryant fan, rest in peace to Kobe. Uh, but just, could you tell me like what it was like meeting Lamar and, if you learned a thing or two, because I, I had his book too. It was, I forget what it was called, but um, he, he had a book and I was listening to the audio book a year ago. And I, I kind of know he had some, some, maybe a similar story to you where he reached a well, little success, right? Well, a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, was on psychedelics well, too, right? <laughs> you know, one of the amazing things, um, dude, uh, you know, that came from being this evangelist and thought leader, if you will, in crypto and then, you know, doing the skincare stuff and, you know, having party houses and being a party guy and then now doing the psychedelic stuff is that, you know, people that, you know, you kind of see on TV or read about or admire end up wanting to meet you. And one thing I tell people is never meet your <laughs> heroes unless they want to meet you. Now, uh-huh. I, I, Lamar Odom isn't. A hero, I might say, but like Tony Hawk, who I worked sure. with closely, is he was my childhood hero, and I now you know business partners. He's an investor in you know my first fund in my brand. He's an ambassador. You no, know, so cool getting to meet and work with these people when they really want to spend that time with you. And you know, Lamar was you know in that position. You know, he he is very involved in the psychedelic space. He's also an advocate, and you know, he works with several of my colleagues and. You know, we were just hanging out, smoking weed, uh, you know, talking, awesome. about, talking about his movie. You know, I was talking to him about some crypto stuff. You know, we we, we just hang out. You know, that, that that's so cool. The other day, uh, 
I was I, I was giving a keynote at a conference in Vegas like two weeks ago, and the the person probably the most like enjoying my entire speech in the audience, front row filming the whole thing was Meta World Peace. Oh he, yeah, he came up to me after he asked for my <laughs> phone number. We've been texting, following each other on Instagram. You know, like you know, it's uh, it, it's it's very it, you know, I'm not like I I don't get caught up with celebrity fame, right, or. Yeah you know, you fame, you know, I learned very early on, you know, that I w didn't want to be famous per se, you know, it's why I haven't done press for so long, because it just got out of hand. I, di I didn't like that attention. But it's always interesting to meet people that have such fascinating lives and, sure. you know, who have, as you mentioned, somewhat relatable experiences, like, you know, it's very hard to wrap your head around what it's like to become famous or wealthy, especially if it happens quickly, yeah, and you're unprepared for it, 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 it you know, it, 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 it's no wonder that so many people, you know, have drug and legal issues, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, financial issues. You're like, why does this happen? Your life's so perfect, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Not. There's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of downsides to to what so many, you know, going back to the kind of materialism in our society. You know, we put these individuals on a pedestal right. that often are, you know, famous or wealthy just because they're good at what they do, but not necessarily because they want to be famous. But then they have to deal with the consequences of the fame or the wealth and the scrutiny. And yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's very overwhelming. Yeah, I used to work for a celebrity in Hollywood um, not too long ago, and I would just see a lot of the, I guess, I wouldn't say unfortunate realities, but somebody with supposed millions of dollars and struggled in life too. So it's, it's not a, you know, like we were getting back into earlier, it's like not a panacea. Like I No, guess just, uh, as Biggie said so perfectly, it's more money, more wealth. <laughs> it never oh, gets easier. You yeah. know, I think there are ways to, you know, manage wealth and optimize right. your wealth so it's less stressful. But if you're young and new to it and didn't grow up with money and weren't taught how to be wealthy, it's a very, very steep learning curve. And frankly, it's not what you're focused on. You're focused on building your business or playing your sports, you know, yeah, doing whatever got you there. And now you're suddenly expected to manage this, you know, money and know what to do with it and, 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 and be responsible. And it's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean... I, I I agree with you just since uh you know if there's no you reap if you never reaped for what you sowed and you know uh you didn't well I you know I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and like there some of them are rags riches some of them you know different levels that got them there but uh I think my cousin he was actually saying that um you kind of go through those struggles to prepare you to be able to run a million dollar business just you can't just flicker your switch and you're, you have all the skills that's needed. You, get, you don't go to business school and you wake up one day with the business. Like, it's no, and, that, and that's what's so important about so many of these business books and podcasts and, you know, like yeah. motivational speakers is they, they kind of just gloss over how once you get there, life doesn't get any easier. If anything, <laughs> it gets harder, you know? Yeah, yeah, there are yeah. definitely comforts that come with it, but it's, but it, but, but, but there's a, a tremendous amount of stress. And I think for someone like me that never really aspired to make money, that was never a goal for me. You know, it, it was it was even more challenging because it's I, I, I would I, I do everything I can to not think about money. Like I don't want to think about it, but it 
But as I mentioned very early on, it's a, this incredible means to an end. It, it's, it, it's a great way to kind of pursue my professional goals, you know, be a philanthropist, do good in the world, affect the change I want to see in the world. But at the same time, I just don't want to think about that money. I don't want to think about making money. I don't want to think about managing money. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times as, you know, a multimillionaire, I've just gone broke, like where I don't have the money in the bank, I'm illiquid, like in as much as I'm wealthy on paper, I haven't, you know, managed my money well. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I have to borrow money from friends to, you know, like wow. cover my rent or pay my taxes. And it, and so it's just, it, 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 it's a lot to manage. And I, I think, you know, perhaps my experience is more extreme simply because I was raised in a home where I was taught not to value money. They were like, oh, go become, you know, go pursue academia, become a professor, go work at a nonprofit, like my parents, you know, oh, okay. that's, what, that's what they valued. And so I didn't really have any guidance one, once all of a sudden I, you know, virtually overnight I was wealthy about what now. Do you, Jeremy, do you credit, credit that part of like, well, the, the headlines that I'm reading, I, I, you know, I'll get to know you more in the future, but it's just like, you know, overnight millionaire, like you, you kind yeah, of, God, you, you I mean, that's, a lot, that's right? why you I, a lot, right? I mean, I yeah. told you, I, I kind of lost the pot by 2018, 2017. You know, I never once talked about money. I uh-huh. mean, it like, it would take like journalists so much to get me to say anything about money, but it was on, it was obvious, you know, people saw the startups I had founded. They saw, you know, I was saying I was putting every penny I made into Bitcoin and Ethereum in 2014, 2015, you know, there, it was impossible for me not to be rich. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, if, I, if at that point I had put $10,000 in by 2018, I had to have been a millionaire, multimillionaire. Like it was not, it, it was just like the journalists, I didn't need to tell the journalists that I had made millions of dollars for them to know that. Because if you looked at everything I had been stating up until then, there's no way I couldn't have been one. And so it, <laughs> those were the headlines, even though I never talked to them about money. And I hated that. I hated that headline. I hated that the fact that, uh, you know, there were, you know, young people or just people reading these articles about me and they were being inspired for all the wrong reasons. They're like, oh, look at this young guy. If he can be rich, you know, so can I. Mm-hmm. And that was just never why I did it. And so that, you know, that that's really a big part of where my disillusionment came from and why I stopped doing press after 2018 and, and any sort of media was because I just felt like I had lost control of my narrative. And now at this point, you know, I have so much more to talk about than crypto and so much of that is in the past that yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not, I, I, at least, I mean, I've just started doing media again and conferences and podcasts, but uh, I, I, I think it's easier for that not to be the narrative around me anymore. Uh, but, you know, when I was, you know, 25, 26, you know, <laughs> and, and it was so obvious that I was now a multimillionaire, that's what people wanted to write about that that gets clicks you know that get you know that gets streams views it gets people talking and sharing that you know that's what the media business is driven by and so uh you know it, it was a harsh reality that i had to come to terms with but fortunately i don't think i missed out on anything or lost anything uh by you know not not indulging in in, in those kind of opportunities for several years 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think like with the media right now, it's definitely, yeah, you know, media is not completely honest all the time. They're doing things for money. It's, it's not even that they're dishonored. It's just they're framing it's things. Angle. And, yeah, they're framing it's, things. Right? It's this spin they put on things so that, you know, you can't control that. And, that, and that's what was challenging. I don't, you know, obviously there were a few articles where they kind of misrepresented what I had said or what I stated. But it wasn't that what they were saying was untrue. It's just it wasn't the way I wanted to be depicted. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I would spend hours with a journalist explaining the technology, the importance of what was being built, what I you, what I was trying to achieve. Then they would just focus on the money, and I was just like, "All right, this isn't worth it." I, I yeah, yeah, no, I, I it's a it's a sad. I, I mean, media is cool when it's um, authentic and just you know, not for necessarily uh, clickbait or, you know, trying to make money off of somebody else's celebrity. I, th- I think like media is cool when it's like, I used to be a, I used to write for a newspaper in high school. And uh, I think like there was no hidden interest at all there. So. <laughs> no, I, I, I did too. I started my high school newspaper. I was an editor at my college newspaper. Um, for a long period, I wanted to do journalism. You know, I've written a lot of op-eds in my career. I, I, I believe, you know, journalism is like the fifth pillar of democracy. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I understand where the dis- mistrust of, uh, you know, you know, journalistic institutions come from today because there's always a spin. There's always an angle. And, and, and to find, you know, impartial news is, is a challenge and, you know, it's a sad state of affairs because in a society where there's no trust in such a vital institution, you know, even worse misinformation becomes rampant. And I, I don't know if there's any coming back from it. I mean, the, the Internet appears to have been, and particularly social media, appear to have been this Pandora's box and where there's no trust in our society, you know, for most of human history, um, almost all of it, in fact, up until, you know, uh, the 90s or 80s, uh, yeah. really, uh, you know, we lived in an analog society. You know, people got their news from the same newspapers, from the same, uh, you know, uh, a few basic cable uh, television stations. And up until Reagan, um, there was uh, there was a law that, uh, that stated that news broadcasters had to show both sides of an issue that they effectively had to be impartial. And, the, and then when that law was struck down during the Reagan administration, it allowed for more partisan outlets like, you know, uh, Fox, Fox and, yeah, and yeah, CNN. Uh-huh. And then and, and then you add the Internet to the equation with blogs and YouTube and social media and and any <laughs> shared sense of truth in our society is just dissipated. And I, I really don't know how we get back from that. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite unfortunate, to be honest. But um, It is. Yeah. You know, I, and, and I get why people are mistrustful. And I know that the media isn't always truthful. But when when individuals can't look past their political opinions or religious views and uh and have a civil discourse you know we're in a sad state of affairs i mean you know 
up until I think it was like the 2000s, you know, something like 85% of Americans were okay with their children marrying someone from with a different political affiliation. Okay. Now it's like less than 30%. I mean, it's so dramatic. <laughs> oh, shit. You know? yeah. <laughs> and and, and you, it leads to this kind of, uh, you know, radical conservatism on the right and this just like deafening, obnoxious wokeness on the left. And, 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 and there's very little room for conversation or compromise. And, and that's frightening. Yeah, man, it's... um. Exactly as you said. <laughs> not to not to not put my own two cents, but you just put it really beautifully said. So that's um, a good takeaway. And but well, a couple more things here, Jeremy. Um, we like to ask a lot of the guests here at the end of the podcast uh, these three questions. So the first one would be: if you were to give advice to Jeremy Garner, a twenty-year-old, um, knowing what you know now, what would you? What kind of advice would it be, or what would you say? 20 year old will buy Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the, the, the only advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I don't know. You know, I, um, I, I'm a very present minded individual. And I, I'm a big believer that, you know, what happens happens for a reason. And, and all that you can do is make the most uh, uh, of what, whatever does happen. But with that said, I think the only thing I would change, uh, and and this is one thing I tell young people, is to focus more on uh, on my health, uh, you know, my diet, uh, developing, you know, a healthy exercise, a regular daily exercise regimen, because those, you know, diet, exercise, uh, mental health. You know, mental health to a lesser extent, but 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 certainly physical health. Those habits are so much higher, harder to develop as you get older. That if you can develop healthy, you know, exercise and and diet habits. Um, but this is there's a mental component as well. When your brain is still neuroplastic and and susceptible to change, um, you will inevitably you will inevitably have a much easier time staying healthy for the rest of your life. You know, I, you know, in the past year, I, I, I've been doing, you know, you know, gym training four days a week, but it is miserable every single morning. Like it is, it, it is never fun. It's never habitual. If my trainer doesn't come to my house, I'm not going to do it. Uh, you know, developing those habits uh, gets harder and harder as you get older. So 20-year-old Jeremy, more than anything, is just focus on my health. And, and subsequently, everything else then gets easier in your life, good habits elsewhere in your life. And so, um, and, and you'll just be more productive and happier. And so that's the one thing that I wish I had done better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Health, health is wealth, man. If you do need a new trainer in LA, I'm really good friends with. Uh, I, I know I've got a great guy. You got a good guy. He, he's amazing. <laughs> I'm just. I, it's just like if he doesn't come, I don't do it. Ah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I I, I used to work for Celeb in LA, and like I, I kind of get that lifestyle. Um, what what's a TV show? Do you watch TV? Like, what's your favorite TV show? Well, I just I think I just finished everything. Like it, it was a, it was a it was a great two months. So I like watched. I never got into the original Game of Thrones, but I loved House of Dragon. 
Um, I watched, I, I, you know, I don't think it's over yet, but the new uh, Star Wars, um, what is it? Um, the Disney Plus. Andor. Yeah, yeah, on Disney Plus. Uh, it's great. It's like a prequel to Rogue One, and which was my favorite spinoff movie. And it's just like a serious <laughs> drama. It's not like traditional Star Wars. And then, um, and then the most re- recent season of Handmaid's Tale, not as good as the earlier seasons, but uh, really enjoyable. <laughs> so, I, I, and then obviously Rick and Morty, uh, new season. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a that's a stoner show for sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> what um what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling in their business or needs needs like you you, you wouldn't say take psychedelics, right? You'd say like <laughs> I mean, I would definitely say take psychedelics. Just do it mindfully. There are lots of great resources and guides, and you know. Uh, uh-huh. there's, you know, ketamine is legal everywhere in the U S and there's great telemedicine and ketamine clinics. Uh, you know, there are lots of options. I would talk to, you know, a professional that's comfortable giving advice around that stuff. Um, but you know, foremost, you know, you have to be able to ask for help, you know, so I, so many founders and entrepreneurs really struggle with asking for help. And if you can't ask for help, and, and, and really identify your blind spots, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so asking for help, you know, and just a therapist can be, or a, a business coach, executive coach can be great and, get, and exercise. I mean, all this stuff, it, you know, you just need, you need to be self-aware and you need to be healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one more thing or two more things here. What, what would you, okay. I, I'm going to ask the, one I thought I would ask last first, um, who is a guest you'd like to see me interview or you think that I should talk to about entrepreneurship and, and just success, or like not even tech, but just uh, have like, how, who would be another good person? To have a good well, conversation with? I don't know if you've read his book, but if you haven't, uh, you should read uh, Ray Dalio's principles. principles. But, yeah. But Ray Dalio is just like one of the greatest hedge fund managers of all time just a great thinker about the world and uh, j- just a brilliant, you know, business mind. One of the great minds of, uh, you know, this gen, well, not my generation, but uh, <laughs> the pat- of, of, boomers or <laughs> of the zeitgeist. Yeah. That's, that's funny. My, my co-host, he, he normally posts with me, but he, he used to work for Ray and um, I guess like, Oh, we used to work for Ray. Yeah. He used to work at Bridgewater. You get him on the show. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I don't know. Like sometimes it's like, you know, with me, I have to push the guy to do it. But one more thing was, I guess like the catch for that was like, you'd have to help us get the guy, the guests, like maybe not Ray, unless you really want to try Ray, but like, yeah. Oh, so, uh, like Tony Hawk or like somebody like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Tony's hard to book, but like Ed Lattimore is great. He's kind of in that realm of man fluencers, but I really love that. <laughs> He's like a former professional boxer. He's like a chess champion. Really? Uh, he's got a, a degree in physics. I mean, he's from the hood, like just like a great, great, like modern philosopher type, uh, you know, and had a lot of success in kind of e-commerce and just a lot of, he was on my show and just a brilliant individual. He's the guy you could just DM, but I, I, I really admire him. Yeah, if you could, I guess, try to help us get in touch yeah. with him somehow. Yeah, but really, just to... DM him. Like, okay. I mean, he, he he's responsive. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and last thing, Jeremy is, uh, or second last well, promise. Uh, what would you say your startup mindset is for the listeners, if you had to say what that? 
It's perseverance. I mean, that's ninety percent of the battle. I I, I I I I didn't say that. It was like Steve Jobs, but like really, <laughs> it like success is success in startups all comes down to perseverance. It's just like you know, you have to you have to identify an opportunity that no one else sees. Most people are going to call you crazy until it works, and you have to keep trying and struggling and. You have to you have to be gritty and willing to like fail and pivot and you know uh-huh. be doubted. Like if you don't persevere, you know nothing comes easily in business, or at least it shouldn't uh, if you're doing anything interesting. So you 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 know if you can persevere, but also realize when you're wrong and, and either shift your approach or you know ask for help. As I said. You know that 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 increases your chances of success exponentially. Man, that's that's amazing. You said that. You know, you know, I was yesterday. I was at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I, I was like, it was it was a night, and uh, my friend had to go to the bathroom. We were looking for the bathrooms, and I step on like Phil Knight's like shoe shoe thing like this shoe cement thing and like i was like oh shit what the hell is this and then like like no the bathroom's here but wait wait, wait i gotta read this <laughs> and it's talking about like let me just read you that quote or for the yeah. sake of my own like i took I took a cool picture and there's a guy who made nike of course um of course. and uh big story well, by the way there's a great yeah. i don't know who wrote his biography but there's a great biography about him yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna look for that. It says, um, I guess it's for the listeners too. I, I go in above and beyond, but uh, is uh, so here's like the photo, right? Like, okay, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it's not blurry, a, but yeah, it, it says like there comes a time in every life when the past recedes and the future opens. Uh, it's in that moment when you turn to face the unknown, some will turn back to what they already know, some will walk straight into uncertainty. I can't tell you which one's right, but I can tell you which one's more fun, so. I think that that's been you, right? Like you've you've gone to answer. Yeah, I mean, you you know, every founder needs to ask themselves this: Do I want my life to be good, or do I want it to be interesting? Because if if you choose the good life, you shouldn't be a founder. It's not good. It's hard, and it sucks (laughs) a lot of the time. Uh, You should just get a good paying job and 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 be comfortable. you know, the entrepreneurial path is for those who want their life to be interesting, but certainly not easy. I love that, man. That's very profound and unique insight. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much, man. This has been an honor and glad to have gotten the chance to talk to you here. And, you know, last thing here, if you have anything you didn't get to say yet and want to kind of... No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, looking forward to 